Hi, my name is Mark Tuchel, and welcome to my Living Sober Sucks, But Living Drunk Sucks More podcast. This is the audio version of my written blog, and the title of this piece is America's History of Booze and Bars. Now, the story of mankind as a social creature includes a long history of alcohol in public meeting places to drink alcohol. Now, as far back as the 5th century B.C., the Greeks and Romans built what was called uh, Tabernae Diversoria, and that's taverns along roads for travelers. And they also built uh, Tabernae Meritoria, and that's taverns for locals. Now, these weren't exclusively dedicated to serving wine and alcohol to, to patrons. Uh, they were actually the world's first shopping centers, but a central feature was the drinking area where people could congregate. And the United States of America also has a long and often dark history of alcohol and bars. Now, settlers were arriving from Europe where clean, safe drinking water wasn't readily available. So fermentation and distilling was a way to assure that a fluid wouldn't kill you. Now, along with hydration, these fluids also offered a minimal amount of nutrients. So the intent wasn't strictly to catch a buzz, um, you know, but wine, beer and hard ciders was what people drank. I mean, they even drank it for breakfast. Now, when North America was being settled, or maybe we could say invaded, uh, the first point of business by the settlers was to build a tavern. And taverns were used as courtrooms for religious gatherings, town meeting centers, as the post office, a library, a jail, all sorts of stuff. And over the years, the taverns uh, have been called many things. You know, an alehouse, a pub, ordinaries, grog shop, inns, tap rooms, beer gardens, saloons. Now, but the bar has always been a place where people could congregate and discuss any topic freely. Um, for the purposes of this article, I'm going to use the term bar. Now, the American Revolution was hatched, developed, and centered out of bars, so you could say that our country was born in a bar. And many new ideas and movements have been developed while people sat in bars, and some good and some bad. The assassination of Lincoln was planned in a bar. Corrupt political wrangling and business deals have been discussed, started, and executed through bars. Racism, sexism, political corruption, violence, revolt, homophobia, segregational rhetoric, vigilantism, and all sorts of hate have been spawned in bars. Now, on the positive side, many movements have been started and organized through bars. It was mainly the right to associate, which uh, what bars allowed for, and, and people could congregate and discuss their concerns and ideas. By doing so, this sparked the development of unions, workers' rights, women's rights, civil rights, gay rights, and more. It is the right to associate which is key to human freedom. And bars have been the social gathering place for many citizens who wanted to maintain their or their group's anonymity before going public with their movement. Bars were America's first and virtually the only outlet for freedom of speech. You now it's funny that bar patrons would decry, America should be fair and free to all people, yeah, except for the unsavory sorts that the bar patrons didn't like. Now, for me, it's a bit shocking and actually painful to read about certain aspects of our country's past. The history of America is far more violent, corrupt, limiting, and racist than many of us may realize, and a lot of it stemmed out of bars. Now, bars and patrons in one area of town might be violently attacked by, by patrons of a different bar. You know, many black, Irish, German, Jewish, Slavic, I mean virtually any ethnicity, gay and lesbian bars were constantly being raided unless the owner paid the necessary bribes to the politicians and, and law enforcement. 
then those protected bars would be strong-armed to have the patrons vote for the politician giving them the protection. I mean, you think our politicians are crooked now. This strong-arm corruption by law enforcement and politicians and bars had been going on for a couple hundred years. You know, and live music was rarely allowed in bars. And if it was allowed, there was a limit on how many musicians could play at one time. I mean, three was the limit to perform at once. And the saxophone was banned because it was too racy, associated with drugs and loose sexual mores. And this, of course, was intended to control the animalism of black patrons and their influence on the general populace with their devil spasm music, which would eventually become known as jazz and ragtime. Now, I want to remind you that these are not my opinions, but simply the recounting of history. Laws and ordinances were not enforced equally. Uh, an ethnic barkeep had to pay the bribes or be raided and shut down, whereas the elite whites didn't have this problem. I mean, most of their places were left alone because, as officials said, uh, uh, they were respectable and knew how to drink. Uh, so I suppose a good example of respectable, responsible, and knowing how to drink would be, mm, I don't know, Ted Kennedy? Bars were the safe meeting place well, most of the time until they became villainized by Puritans and anti-drinking proponents. Prohibition was called the failed noble experiment. Corruption, loss of tax revenue, and the infringement on an individual's rights brought the repeal of prohibition. You know, when someone else determines who can meet whom, where you can meet, what you can talk about, and what you can imbibe with, that infringes on your deep desire to make your own decisions. You know, tell a person that they can't do something, and chances are good they'll want to do it even more. People want the freedom to associate and make their own decisions. Now, I find it interesting that by making something legal, this allows for it, the product, to be controlled better without controlling a person's rights. Now, alcohol, for instance, laws are established for when and where it can be sold. Bars have limited hours of operation. Penalties can be imposed upon those who drive while under the influence or have open containers in their vehicle. Age limits for legal use are imposed and much easier to enforce. The percentage of alcohol content in a given product can be limited, enforced, and regulated. The government receives taxes on multiple levels of production, distribution, and sales of the product. The failed noble experiment showed that alcohol itself is not the villain. The misuse, overuse, and inappropriate use of alcohol is the villain. Now, alcohol and bars have been a major part of our heritage, politics, economy, and our right to freely associate. But this is a double-edged sword. You know, corruption, illegal activities, and many broken lives have come as a result. There have been ridiculous regulations on who can enter a bar, how many musicians, or what type of music is allowed to be played in a bar. Now, you and I might laugh at these things now because most of us can walk into any bar or club, listen to music, mingle, and determine for ourselves if we feel comfortable or safe and want to stay there. You know, we have a lot of freedoms today as a result of people congregating, associating, and freely discussing ideas in bars. The root of our right to associate stems from the bar. I feel that our current society is much more open and better, actually, as a result of bars. But there is a new movement even more powerful than congregating in bars, and that is our current technological and information-sharing revolution. Now, with all that said, what do we non-drinkers do if we don't want to go hang out in a bar? 
I mean, if we're not drinkers, why would we go hang out in a bar anyway? I mean, regardless of whether you're in a marriage, partnership, relationship, have children, or are single, most of us want to break from the routine, and we'd like to go meet with new people or meet with those from our community that we might not normally meet in the work or home environment. So where do we go? Where do we meet and socialize and discuss new ideas? Now, there's coffee shops, you know, like Starbucks and Caribou. Libraries and bookstores are public places, but it's not the same as a bar. I mean, hey, free-spirited women don't jump up on a table and lift their shirts and flash everyone in a library. I mean, people are much quieter and reserved in these places, and they tend to mingle less. Many are there to work, read, or just relax. They're not necessarily there to socialize with strangers, but that doesn't mean you can't go there to socialize and meet new people people. Just be aware that it's a much more restrained atmosphere. I mean, after you've been to a certain place a few times, you may recognize some faces. You know, you have to take a risk and introduce yourself. You can always offer to buy someone a cup of coffee or tea. I mean, hey, that's no different than offering to buy someone a drink in a bar, is it? Now, many other people feel that AA meetings or religious gatherings are their new social hangout. But, you know, at these gatherings, the people in attendance are explicit in their purpose for being there. And the topic of conversation is limited to the parameters set forth by the organization. Uh, at least that's the way it is at, uh, like, an official meeting. Now, social gatherings hosted by these organizations, uh, it allows for intermingling and free discussion among the attendees. But any subject contrarian to the group's tenets could be considered as sedition against the organization. Uh, a lot of times free speech and free thought are not always welcome. Now regardless, those venues may serve your interests and purposes for socializing just fine. I mean, hey, who am I to say what's best for you? But I believe that technology, namely the Internet with websites, blogs, chat rooms, and social media, is rapidly becoming a viable social outlet. Now keep in mind that a lot of websites have precise guidelines as to what can be discussed, uh, allowable language, and stuff like that. Uh, many have overzealous moderators who edit or ban your comments. And, you know, but you know what? If you don't like a website, its subject matter, or guidelines, then don't visit it. Okay? There's plenty of alternatives out there. I always wonder why uh, the people who send me hate emails you know, with anonymous email address, why are they wasting their own valuable time reading or visiting my website if they don't like it? I don't know. I don't get it. In any case, don't overlook the power of the Internet when you're searching for groups, clubs, and associations that are in line with your interests or hobbies. I mean, if there isn't a local chapter or group for your interests, maybe you will be the person to start one. You can also start your own website, blog, or chat room, inviting others to be part of your movement. Now, the Internet is a distinctly different way of meeting and communicating with people, and we need to use the Internet in a different way than face-to-face -face meetings. Literacy skills are a must to establish credibility. Facts, data, and claims can be easily checked on. Words and ideas can be misinterpreted. You know, the Internet is a wonderful exchange medium, but there's still nothing much better than face-to-face -face communication and the freedom to gather and associate. And it doesn't always have to be in a bar. Let's use social media as a launch pad for movements and to invite people to gather at public rendezvous places.
I believe that we are smart enough to evolve our social freedom to associate skills in healthy and civil ways. Together, let's figure out new ways and new methods to mingle, freely associate, and share ideas without having to resort to meeting in a bar. Let's start our own revolution. Hey, that's it. Thank you for spending your valuable time to listen to my podcast. If you enjoy this stuff or you get something out of it, please tell your friends about my website. It's livingsobersucks.com. And thanks again for spending some of your very valuable time with me. My name is Mark Tuchel.